This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast. We are hoping that you're enjoying the stories that we're bringing to you of prominent Christians who've been able to bring their faith into life through the work that they do in their profession and their vocation. I'm delighted to have Mr. Brian Pickering with us this morning, who has a long and successful career in many different fields, and we're looking forward to hearing how that uh, transpired and how God was working with his life. And at the end, we're also looking forward to announcing the winners of the ACC Group National Day of Thanks competition that was recently run. So keep your ears out for the announcement of those winners at the end of our conversation. Mr. Pickering, you were grew up on the, the mid-north coast in a small town. You were the son of a local minister, um, moved into a career in banking and took a position of prominence with the National Australia Bank, but then had a dramatic change in your life and ventured into something that is that is quite, quite different. Um, we're absolutely delighted to have you uh, as part of our Inspiration Project podcast. Can I start by taking you back? What was what was it like uh, growing up as a, as a country kid and, and a pastor's kid at that? Yes, yeah, a very different sort of lifestyle living in the country to what it is living in the city. So uh, most of my early years, up to the age of about 12 or 13, uh, I lived in the country. And being uh, the son of a minister, we moved around quite frequently, as was the mode in those days. And I was born in Wingham near Taree. And from there, we moved to a place called Culcairn, which is down near Albury, and to Griffith in the Riverina, uh, Yass near Canberra, Raymond Terrace near Newcastle, and finished up on the far north coast to a place called Alstonville uh, before my father retired and we moved to Sydney from there. That, that sounds like it was a move every two years or so? Would that Roughly two or three years, yeah. Yeah. yeah so what was it That's like? That's what they used to do in those days. That's what they used to do in those days. Uh, he was a Methodist minister. Right. And so they were moved according to need and so forth. Not like today where pastors often are pastors for many, many years in, a, yeah. in, a, in their own church. Uh, in those days, they used to move them regularly. So what, what would that mean f- for you as a young person, making friends and going to school and trying to make make your own life in uh, a situation where it was changing so much? Yes, I, I went to many schools and um, had to make friends and then lose friends and make new friends. Uh, looking back on it, it didn't seem to have a great deal of negative impact on me mm. um, and I wasn't sort of conscious of that. It was just how life was. Mm. Uh, but I remember uh, my the friends I really remember uh, came into my life maybe in the mid-years of my primary education mm. and I've maintained friendships with some of those people right through my life. Yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a difference being moving around. It's different from being at one place. Mm. Did, did it mean and being a pastor's kid also has its challenges as well? Well, I'm going to say you're moving into a new district and trying to make friends, and and you're carrying, well, the, the double-edged sword, I suppose, of of being the local ministers of identified the Christian that's uh, that's come into the community. Did it? Yes, that's right. Did it change the way you related to the to the kids around you. 
Uh, it didn't change the way I related to them, but I think it possibly changed the way they related to me. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think one of the things that uh, pastors' kids struggle with is the expectation that's placed upon them yeah. because their father is the minister, so therefore mm. they should be goody-goodies and they should never do anything wrong. Uh, and was so you, you have Ryan? to live up to that expectation. Sorry? That was you? you that was me, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, well, that, that's what they expected. Mm. And uh, and having to live up to that all the time is, is difficult. And I think that's why some pastors' kids rebel. Mm. Uh, because they just find it too difficult to to live up to the expectations that people have. Uh, I got through that, and uh, it didn't affect me in that negative way. And so uh, when I look back, what do you think that life, was, Juan? What do you think you were able to feel a sense of authenticity about that experience that, that didn't evoke a? Uh, I don't know that I could put that into words. Actually, um, uh, I, I had a personal relationship with Jesus from my early years. Mm. Uh, so I guess that would have played a part in it as well. Um, and I guess my parents, to some degree, m- might have shielded me from from that as well and uh, gave me as normal a life as possible. I did the things that all kids do, played sport and mm. went to act different activities. So they tried to make my life as normal as possible and they didn't put that kind of expectation on me. So uh, probably not having it from the family was uh, uh, was helpful in balancing what came from the, the church people or society. Yeah, I can understand that. I can, I can imagine that there could be as much of a burden of obligation that would come from a Christian home as from the the friends that you're trying to make of, of yeah. being a certain way or, or living a certain to a certain standard. And yeah, it's a it's a blessing that if your family, your parents were able to allow you to find your authentic faith of your own. So yes. when, when did that happen for you, Brian? Well, I was brought up in a Christian home, so I've, I've not known life outside of the church, but I made a personal commitment when my father died, hmm. when I realised that uh, at that point of time I'd been a Christian primarily because my parents were Christian yes. and they brought me up in the church and I did all the, the things, the right things in the church, but then I realised that my father was no longer alive so technically I could do whatever I wanted to do now. Not that he was a dominant father. He didn't try to make me what he wanted me to be. He gave me the freedoms and so forth. But I guess deep within I always got an obligation to, to mm. honour my parents and therefore to continue in the way that they uh, had brought me up. Mm. But when he died, I, I realised that, okay, well, he's now, I'm not answerable to him anymore, so I, I have to make a decision as to what I'm going to do with my life. Mm. So at that point, which was in my mid-20s, I made a personal commitment for myself to mm. follow Jesus for myself and not just because my parents had. So you, you had probably a t- couple of decades of being immersed in the life of the church and yeah. really living ostensibly a life of faith. Yes. And then in your 20s had this very real uh, commitment, a, a willful commitment. Did it change yes. your relationship to God that that moment? Um, it, it deepened it. It deepened it. Um, and I'd been everything. I'd been a Sunday school teacher. I'd been in the youth group and everything like that. I'd led a fully Christian life. Mm. Uh, and, and I would say I, I, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. Um, I wasn't putting it on at all. But mm. it went deeper once I'd mm. made that personal commitment. Once I'd decided that I could go, I could either go that way or that way. Mm. Uh, I had two choices. Uh, I chose to go the way that I followed for the rest of my life. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a, a profound thing to have 
such a significant event in your own life, the, the loss of your dad, yeah, also be a trigger to something that really launched you into a whole different direction of life ultimately. Yes. Yeah. So you growing up and meandering or nomading around these these country towns, your family yes. settled in Sydney. At what, what time did you, what stage of life did you get sent? That was in my high school years. So uh, I went to school at Cobra, in, right. in Cobra High School in, in Sydney, and finished my uh, um, schooling there. And then I went uh, into the bank, and, yeah, right. and that was on the urging of my parents. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And they said, well, look, banking's a good, safe career. Why don't you go into banking? So I went into banking and I stayed there for all of my business life. So I moved from being a, a junior who did the most junior things of licking the stamps and putting them on the envelopes to post out the statements and things like that, right through to a senior management position 39 and a half years later. Well, that's quite a Going from the mailroom to the boardroom, essentially. Yeah, and it doesn't happen much these days. People oh. change careers regularly. But uh, in those days, to, to stay in the one job was seen to be something that uh, most people uh, thought was fantastic, you know, to, to go right through your life. And banking gives that kind of a mm. career because there are many different streams that you can go through and go into. It's not just the one job for the rest of all your life. You can go into international banking or you can go into lending or you can go to branch banking. And, and I experienced all of those to get to senior management. Mm. Was there a particular set of interests that you carried into that work that that created it as a, a career path for you? Uh, I wouldn't say interests, but my, my gifting was in administration, so I tended to do well in positions that required administration. Um, I was a branch manager, and from there I went into lending, mm. uh, and so I was a, a regional lending manager. Uh, they also put me through uh, international banking and they put me through card services and mm. uh, and so I had a, a very wide spectrum of experience but I was I, my life main life was in administration mm. how did you find the alignment between that life of a uh, uh, even at the lower levels finance um, issues to do with uh, security and resource and a life of faith was there ever discontinuity between those things? I didn't have a conflict of faith because uh, back in those days, uh, uh, and I left banking some 20 years ago, so uh, young, younger people growing up today know banking as to what it is today and it has, doesn't have a good reputation in some circles. But back in those days, uh, banking was uh, very ethical mm. uh, and so I was never put in a position where I had to make a decision as to what the bank wanted me to do as to what my Christian values wanted me to do. Mm. I was able to live my Christian life uh, as, a, as a banker mm. uh, and, it, and it never conflicted with my, uh, uh, with my personal values. Um, uh, I, I suppose the, the closest it would come would be when a, a customer who, uh, who was not a Christian and, and maybe uh, didn't, wouldn't have shared my particular ethics I wanted a loan, mm. and I had to work that through as to whether I was representing the bank or mm. representing my myself. Uh, and uh, I would maybe have had to to lend money sometimes to a business that, if it was my own personal money, mm. I might not have done so. But because it fell within the the ethics of, of the bank, yeah. uh, I, I did it as a banker yeah. rather than as a person. 
but I wouldn't have done that had it been totally opposed to my Christian ethics. It's just that it was something that I wouldn't have wouldn't have done myself, but it still wasn't unethical or, or illegal. I understand entirely. You're right in saying that the whole banking industry was built on the same or on the Judeo-Christian understanding of responsibility, wise stewardship, yeah, um, care, caution, um, that that sound ethics. Yeah, and you're also right that it doesn't seem to be quite that way. We, yeah, do you have you given any thought as to what changed and when it changed and Yes, uh, very much so. Um, uh, it, it changed about the time that I left the bank, and uh, and part of the reason I left the bank was that I was retrenched. Right. And I was retrenched along with many, many senior managers who had been brought up in the bank and had careers in the bank, and were career bankers. Mm. Um, and the bank, and we were a service industry. Mm. Our main yes. ethos was to serve the public and, and yeah. provide for them to make their own lives and buy their houses and set up their businesses. But around 20-odd years ago, uh, the bank changed and became a profit-making industry. Yes, yes. And that change resulted in them having to change the culture of the bank mm. and in to, make, to change the culture of the bank, they had to get rid of all the old bankers Yeah, because they were of the old mould. Yeah, yeah. And so many, many, I think the day I was retrenched, a thousand years of experience was retrenched from the bank. My goodness. And they brought in all what we would call, you know, some uh, university people who'd never had any life experience but, but knew how to make a profit and how to sell a product and all that. And so banking became a sales machine. Yeah. Uh, and out of that sales machine and profit came bonuses and out of those bonuses came self-interest, and we've got what we've got today. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a significant shift, isn't it, on the, the it was. in which it was all built. Um, the idea it was deliberate. It was a deliberate shift. It was a deliberate shift uh, from, from a service industry to a profit-making uh, concern. So was that, and, and I'm speaking a bit of ignorance here, was that the deregulation of the banking industry that we sometimes hear about? Is that where the... Uh, yeah, I guess that was involved. Yeah, yeah, that that probably would have been around about the same time, and it was probably part of the ethics. And so they became a bit more self determining and yeah, freed from some of the obligations that that government constraints might have been having in place. To excuse the pun, the checks and balances. Yes, that's right. That might have been in place for those. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so a, a pretty tumultuous event for you to be senior level management to be. Uh, highly regarded in society as a, a, a person to be honoured and in a in a field that was one of the bedrocks of society, and then to have that changed overnight. What, what did that do for your the sense of self? Actually, I was prepared for it. I was prepared for it. I, I'd always I'd always felt that at some stage in my life I would leave the bank and become full time in some form of ministry. Right, and so my Ministry was forming while I was even in the bank, mm -hmm. so I was running a minister, a prayer ministry, alongside of my banking career, which mm -hmm. made life very hectic. Uh, and so, when when it came time to be retrenched, I was actually looking forward to that because it was going to release me into a new field of ministry and provide me with a golden handshake yeah. to make to enable me to do that, set me up financially to enable me to do that 
without having to rely on the ministry to provide the income. So to me, it was God's provision. Uh, and I, I remember the day when I announced it to my, to my team that I'd been retrenched and everyone cheered yeah. because they thought this is, this is wonderful because God's now released him to be able to do the ministry full time. So it wasn't something that was a shock to me. It wasn't something that destroyed me. It was something that actually released me. Yeah, how fantastic. And, and for God to have gone before your, your, your own circumstance, your own thinking, so that yeah. what could have been, and I'm, I'm guessing for some of your colleagues who didn't have that, that life yeah. of faith sustaining them would have been quite devastating. Yes, indeed. And for you, an avenue of God's goodness in your life. Goodness and provision, yeah. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Because as you know, when you get retrenched, you you get uh, you superannuation, you get mm. uh, redundancy pay, and all of that, and that set me up financially to be able to do the ministry without being paid to do the ministry. Uh, and because I was retrenched, I'm still on a bank's uh, pension, for instance. Yeah, right. So uh, uh, that continued. So so God was actually wonderful the way He provided. Yeah, and I believe God does that. You know, God, when God wants you to do something, He provides for it, and that's the way yeah. He provided for me. Yeah. That's great. Opens the doors and makes the way plain, and removes the obstacles for for Him to work His goodness in your life. That's great. Absolutely, Ron. You, you mentioned you already, while you were in uh, the senior position in the bank, operating a prayer ministry. I want to ask you, uh, in the little bio that I was reading of you, that you you felt you had this call to a ministry of prayer and. I wanted to ask you a bit about that. Where, where did that come from? When, where did that start for you, this deep sense that prayer was something particularly that God was wanting you to understand and, and uh, work in? In my earlier years, uh, I didn't have that. In fact, uh, I would have not thought I was a very diligent prayer at all. But as, as the years went by, I began, God began to lead me into areas where I began to understand prayer more mm. and to see the impact that prayer could have in the life of individuals, in the life of families, in the life of nation. Mm. Uh, and so he began the, He began to change my perspective. I wouldn't say I was always a prayer. Mm. Uh, I was a Christian and I prayed, but I didn't understand prayer the way I do now. Mm. Uh, but uh, at the age of 40, on my 40th birthday, God had done a lot of preparation work. Don't uh, get me wrong. He prepared me through taking me through various avenues within the church. I was, uh, you know, I held every position there was to hold uh, in a local church, but I also went on to boards of the church mm. at state and national level. So I'd had lots of experience. But on the age of, at the age of 40, God uh, spoke to me very clearly uh, and, and called me to, to, to a, to, to take a, a step mm. towards him in in looking after people who had become Christians but were in dry places and were struggling with their Christian life. Mm. And they were basically people in the country. Mm. Uh, because I've been a country boy myself, I knew that, you know, the country people don't have all the stuff that we can have in the city where we can go to a meeting here or listen to a speaker there, whatever. Mm. And a lot of those people had a living faith Mm. that were living in a dry place. Mm. And so my initial, the way God led me initially was to go and visit those people in the country areas on weekends mm. with a small team of people we took with us to encourage other Christians in their faith mm. and to encourage them and teach them to pray for their own community. 
So for the first six years of my ministry life, I was still working in the bank. I'd work in the bank Monday to Friday, but every third or fourth weekend, we would go as a team and visit a country town and visit some people in that town, stay overnight with them on the Saturday night. Uh, we would travel, leave work at home on Friday afternoon, stay in a motel overnight, get there Saturday, spend all day Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and drive back, go back to work on Monday. I did this for about six years. Wow. And in wow. that time, God was building uh, an army of people who were encouraged to pray for their community, to pray for the nation mm. and whatever, and maintain a link with us. Mm. And after about six years, God said, now I'm going to use those people and use you. Uh, to start a, a network across the state mm. of praying people who are going to be uh, part of my army to pray for the state and the nation. So that, that's how it began. Yeah, I, I want to come back to the prayer network and what that has become, but can I probe a little more with you? You've used some phrases in that story that God told you you were led in a practical sense. What? What was that like? What for you? What what form did that take? Was it conviction? Was it Bible references? Was it friends speaking into your life? What were the things that gave you clarity that this was God? A conviction would be the first thing, but then God began to bring people into my life that I hadn't known before, mm. who had a similar understanding and a similar calling and vision to myself, mm. and so. Within a period of months after that conviction came on me, I had a group of about a dozen other people, four, five or six other couples, who said, look, we we believe God's called you and we believe God's called us to support you. We want to be part of whatever it is that God's doing. So together we sought the Lord and we felt he was saying to, to make contact with people that we knew in the country and, and just begin that journey. So my journey hasn't been a journey where I've known where I'm going to finish up. Mm. My journey has been a journey of taking the next step. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And as each step has been taken, the vision has opened up further and further. Mm. So I didn't know right from the beginning where I was going to finish up. All I knew was God wanted me to follow him mm. and then he wanted me to go and meet some of these people in the country. Mm. That was the beginning. When I did that, he opened something else up and something else up and it grew and grew and grew over years. And at no stage... And even now, I don't know what the future holds. Yeah. I take one step at a time yeah. and he opens the doors and I walk through them. It's fantastic to, have, to hear the story of God giving, giving you a sense of, of call and then bringing other voices and confirming that with, with uh, providing support, providing the team. Absolutely. That's going to happen. Mm. So you, you start from these humble beginnings of every third or fourth weekend heading off to a country town. You've, you've now established a Australia-wide prayer network that, that you're leading? Well, at that stage, it was only a statewide prayer network, but that it grew to be a national network when I was invited by other leaders to uh, to establish a national network uh, under the AD2000 movement. Uh, and so I then was appointed national coordinator of the Australian Prayer Network. So, so tell us a bit about that network. Uh, tell us a bit about Well, that network, network began with about 200 names of people who had been to prayer conferences. Those names were given to me by uh, a pastor uh, in Brisbane who was uh, asked to start a, a network and he, he knew that being a pastor in a local church, he wouldn't have time to, to, to do that. So uh, he searched and uh, came up with me 
as the person that he should offer that job to. Uh, and so I became the national coordinator and he gave me a list of 200 people to, uh, uh, to uh, contact and to sort of start the network off. Mm. Well, now that was about uh, uh, 27 or so uh, years ago. Uh, that network now has uh, uh, 700 churches affiliated with it, mm. a couple of thousand prayer groups and up to 100,000 people through those prayer groups, through those churches and through those individuals, a network of about 100,000 people who are praying for our nation that on a regular basis. And, and it's, done, it's not been anything that I've done except follow the Lord step by step. Yeah, next step. And, and that's important. I think that's important that when we have a vision, I believe God gives us the vision of what he's going to do, yes. not what he wants us to do. Yes. But in order to fulfill that vision, he gives us steps to undertake. Yeah, that's a good and it's in the obedience of those steps that he fulfills his vision. Yeah, super. Um, I, I want to ask you, you've already mentioned that you you feel like you understand prayer at this point in your life in a very different way than you did when when you were a, a child believer or even a um, a midlife Christian. What what does prayer come to mean? How, what did you have an, as an understanding of prayer that's changed over that period of time? I think most people, if you ask them what is prayer, they would say it's a conversation we have with God. So prayer for most people is very personal. Um, in fact, there was a survey done not too many years ago where uh, it found that 85% of Christians only ever pray for themselves, mm. their friends or their family. Mm. God's raised that level for me to understand how prayer works in changing nations mm. and changing cities and changing society. So my focus or our focus in prayer is not so much on the personal. Mm. We don't we don't pray for individuals. There are other ministries that do that. We pray for the nation, the mm. nations, cities, and so forth. And we interact with governments and we interact with the church. And we mm. we do prayer projects in cities alongside of churches and so forth. Mm. So prayer to me is is the conduit of power mm. that flows from the throne room of God into the circumstances of our life. Mm. That's a so prayer, mm. it is a personal thing. I have a personal relationship with God and I talk to him as I'm talking to you. That's very personal. But there is also a power that flows from his throne into the circumstances of life, mm. and he uses ordinary people as mm. the channel. So, do and you the ordinary people connect by prayer. You, you uh, this, I think you're leading into another question I had on my list to ask you: was what what's your understanding of intercessory prayer, and how is that different from other sorts of prayer? You're sort of beginning to explain that. You want to take yeah. it a little bit further, and what do you think is well? That is that what I'm talking about: is intercessory prayer, right? Um, you know, I, I would call just ordinary prayer is our conversation with God, our personal yeah. conversation. And that's valid. Yeah. That's valid. God talks to us. We talk to him. We sit on his knees as, we're, as, as he's our father and he speaks yeah. to us and he looks after our life. That's prayer. Intercessory prayer is when what we do, we become an agent for God to use us to work in changing the circumstances of others' lives, including the life of cities and nations. Yeah. So do you believe anybody can be involved in that or is that? something that God might call particular people to? I believe God does call people to that particularly. I think it is a there is an aspect of it which is a, a gift and a ministry gift. But I also believe that all of us 
are called to be intercessors. Mm. And by that I mean allowing God to do in me mm. what I want him to do for another. Mm. So if I want my nation to be a righteous nation, the only way that I'm going to contribute to that is by being a righteous person. Amen. So so God has to change me to be a righteous person before I can be used by him yeah. to make my nation a righteous nation. Yeah. And that's the intercession part of it. You're, you have a national perspective. God's provided that platform, those opportunities, and, and opened your eyes to see his potential to impact the nation. Is there a place for intercessory prayer or intercessory ministry in a family? in a company, in a school? Absolutely. The same principle applies. The same principle applies in the family as it does in the nation. Mm. It's the same principle. It's just a different. You, you may express it differently or you may have to do different things in relation to it. But as a father, mm. I'm a father to my family, but hopefully I'm also an intercessor for my family. Mm. In other words, I allow God to use me to impact the life of my family. Mm. And I do that through how I live my life in relationship to my God. Mm. Yeah. So every every life, everything I do is a, a, in relation to someone else's life yes. is an intercession for that person. There's, there's many Christians, I think, Brian, who think of prayer as um, a bit of a last resort or a bit of a habit or you know, something that doesn't necessarily have a lot of potential to change circumstances, you're living a life that is based on the assumption that it's completely different to that, the opposite to that. Yeah. That, that prayer is the mechanism or a mechanism where God does reveal himself in the circumstances. Yes. Have you ever had to struggle with questions about that, the, the, the doubt that God can actually do the things you're praying about? Uh, yes, uh, and early on in my life, and in my, my mid twenties, I uh, I had a, uh, a a difficulty with a, a back condition that the Lord uh, allowed in my life, mm. and that back condition would meant that I was going to finish up my life in a wheelchair or as a cripple because uh, what it was was my my back was aging quickly. Mm. So I was at the age of about twenty five. I was like a man of about seventy five. My body was. Mm. And so my body was contracting as it does with older age. Mm. And so I was told by the medical profession that I, that I would have to live a life. Uh, all they could think of was fusing my back, which mm. may have succeeded and may not have. But I had to then uh, look forward to a life of, um, of uh, being a cripple or in a wheelchair. And then I had a, a very deep encounter with God over a period of about 12 months. I asked other people to pray for me. I, I went to prayer meetings. I went to healing meetings. I had people pray for me. Nothing seemed to work mm. until one morning in my kitchen of my home, I got up on that morning to make my breakfast. And I believe I had an encounter with God where he said to me, Brian, do you want to be healed? Mm. And I said, of course I do, Lord. You know I want to be healed. I've been going to prayer meetings and healing meetings for 12 months and, and, you, and nothing's happened. He said, well, Brian, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to reach out to me now and take my hand and be healed. And in that moment of faith, he gave me, he gave me the faith in that yes. moment of time to reach out, touch him, and, and I was instantly healed. And, and I've had a life free of pain for the, the next 50 years. Right. So he proved to me at that time yes. 
that he could do what he wanted to do. Yes. That doesn't say I still don't I, I, that I still don't struggle when it comes time to pray for someone else. Yes. I don't still don't have that faith that as I had it that morning because it was a gift of faith. Amen. But I know God can do it. Amen. Because He did it for me. I yes. know God can do it. That's but so it's not a magical thing. Yeah. He gives us the personal witness, the personal story. Yeah. I, I know because this was my experience. That's right. And down through the years as we've prayed for communities, as we've prayed for, for nations, we've seen our answers to prayer. So it reinforces and builds your faith. And I've got 50 years of walking by that faith. Yeah, so my faith is, is now very secure and believing that God can do whatever God wants to do. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, and I, and I believe even in the current situations we're facing in, in life uh, here in our nation and other nations, I believe prayer is the ultimate answer, but it just doesn't happen with the click of a finger. Yeah. It happens with dedication. It happens with commitment. It happens with seeking God and, and, and listening to God and doing what Amen. God asks us to do. Amen. Ryan, we're, we're sort of getting close to the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you for a, for a man who has had his life a call to prayer that's rested upon it for so long. What are you praying for at the moment? I look at the world and I haven't got enough hours in the day to pray for everything that needs to be prayed for. We are in a broken world, mm. a broken world. And so my, I guess at, at the basic level, I want people to know Jesus the way I know him because I know he's the answer. Mm. He, he's the answer to all of our issues whether they be a personal crisis in our own life or whether it be a family crisis or whether it be a, a national crisis, he is the answer. Mm. Uh, and and as, a, as a society in the Western world, we've moved away from that. We've said, no, 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 you know, we don't need a God. We, we're able to do it ourselves. We can look after ourselves. We can do that. We're, we're now finding that we can't look after ourselves. Mm. You know, there's, there's these things like uh, uh, viruses which... Mm. Uh, devastate us mm. uh, and now you know uh, what's happening in America mm. you know we, we can't control it ourselves yeah. we need God amen uh, how long is going to take us to realize that I don't know but my prayer is let us all as his people and others find out that he is who he says he is amen. and we need him more than we think we do amen amen that's yeah, they're my prayers a beautiful way to wrap up the, the ministry that you have, the, the heart you have for what God can do, wants to do in our nation and other nations. It's also a beautiful compliment, Brian, that in the prayer network that you uh, have given so much to, you're also involved in the National Day of Thanks. And that's a lovely compliment to say, Lord, we're asking you for these things, for your power to be revealed, but we're not neglectful of thanks that we want to give for the good things that you've done by your grace, by your general revelation, by the work of um, goodness in our community. Just tell us very quickly a little bit about the, the National Day of Thanks, how, how that came about. It came about through the praying hearts of God's people. Ah, uh, at a certain stage, about uh, uh, 15 years ago, we, were, we got a number of people who suddenly started to write to us and say, look, God wants a day, a day in the nation when he is honoured. Amen. Uh, for himself, and they were the days when it was uh, not politically correct to uh, to mention God anywhere, especially in the public square, and you couldn't sing Christmas carols at school anymore, and all those sorts of things. Uh, and so, uh, out of that uh, came this idea of, of a, a day of of saying thank you 
for what God had done mm. for our nation, but also saying thank you for people who had done things. So mm. we took that to the Governor General of the, of the day, and he agreed that that would be a, a valuable thing to do. But he said, look, as Governor General, I have to be all things to all men. So if you want it to be a Christian thing, then you'll have to experience, organise it yourself. Um, the church will have to take it up and do it, but I'll, I'll support it. I'll give you a statement of support. Great. So about 15 years ago, uh, we started the National Day of Thanks, and the church has embraced that, and uh, and uh, uh, the community to a certain extent has embraced it. Uh, the schools are embracing it and so forth uh, as a way of saying thank you to God and thank you to each other yeah. for living by the principles that God has established that we should live by and honouring those people that do in our society. Yeah, that's a fantastic thing, and it's so good to hear that it was rooted ground so solidly in the praying hearts of the people, as you said. That's you you might realise, Brian, that um, our Australian Christian College group of schools participated or invited students to uh, be involved in a competition uh, around the National Day of Thanks, and they were invited to express their thankfulness to God and to others by answering this question, who are you most thankful to and why? They were invited to make submissions that could have been in any sort of form, could have been videos, poems, artworks, letters, and uh, we've decided that we want to recognise some of the, the, the better responses from our different schools and the winners from our ACC schools around the nation will receive an ultimate world changer kit from the Thank You charity. You've very kindly agreed to read the winners of those um, competitions in our different schools. Can I, can I ask you to share uh, with our listeners who were the winners from those schools who participated? Uh, absolutely. It's my, my delight to be able to do that. And so I, I want to announce that from ACC Morton, the following students were the winners. Layla James, Tate Furlong, Isabel Watmau, from ACC Marsden Park, Ocean Shahood, Kalichi Okenwa, and from ACC Launceston, Liliana Cooper, and from ACC Singleton, Ali Rex. Congratulations to each of those students. Thank you, Brian. I had my own congratulations and the congratulations from all of our ACC group of schools to those students. Very, very well done. We are so thankful for your thankfulness and for the way you expressed it. For those that are listening, please note that the entries from those winners are featured on the Inspiration Project podcast, which can be found at acc.edu.au forward slash podcast under the episode with Brian Pickering. Brian, as we close up our time together, would there be anything that you'd just want to leave with our listeners as a, as a final thought or reflection? Well, I guess I'm, I'm speaking to, in, in most part, young people. Yes. Uh, I'd say, you know, God can use you in ways that you cannot imagine that he could use you. Mm. And you don't have to uh, to know exactly where he's going to take you, but you do have to entrust yourself into his care Amen. and be guided by the doors that he opens and the circumstances that he allows in your life. Mm. So I would encourage you that God is who he says he is. And he's able to do exceedingly abundantly with your life above anything you can do with it yourself. Amen. And so to give it to him in the early years of your life is a wonderful thing because the rest of your life, I, I believe, will be guided by his hand and all you have to do is to go through the doors that he opens for you. Now, you may not be led in the same pathway as I'm led, but uh, he leads people in all different ways. 
that whatever way he wants to choose to lead you, give yourself to him and do what he asks you to do and life will never be the same. Brian couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much for your life of faithfulness, for the ministry to our nation that God has been able to work through you and through your team. And we pray earnestly that God will continue to give you strength and give you vision and enable you to do the work that he's called you to do. God bless you. Thank you, Brendan. 